Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a mixed bag of trading in grains and oil seeds and in the livestock trade on Tuesday with cattle seeing a rebound as we work through the session. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. Always appreciate you joining us for a conversation about what's happening in the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. And again, we saw a mixed bag in grains and oil seeds. Soybeans started higher, then sold off as we went through the session. A uh, big time fail we saw there on Tuesday, down double digits, down about a dime or so from the uh close that we saw on Monday and well off of the session highs. In fact, we saw soybeans uh, set a session high in January beans 13.15 and a quarter, and we finished well off that on the day Tuesday, set a high of 13.35 in March beans as well. We're going to talk about all that as well as uh, the continued uh, buying strength in the wheat market. More sales announced to China for SRW wheat on the day Tuesday. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net is going to join us for a market discussion and provide us with his perspective on some of this grain activity. Cattle saw a decent rebound after plenty of volatility, so maybe, fingers crossed, maybe we're putting a bottom in this recent collapse in cattle futures on both live and feeder cattle. We're going to talk about that with Jim and much more coming up here later on in the program. First up, though, let's get a little bit of market analysis with Ryan Moe from Stone X. I talked to Ryan around midday on Tuesday. He's filling in for Arlen Suderman on our midday commentary. And we talk about some of the action in the grain trade as well as the outside markets. A little bit quieter in outside market trade on Tuesday after a wild day in the dollar to start the week. Uh, or excuse me, a wild day in gold to start the week on Monday. We talk about the dollar, though, with Ryan Moe. We also... Talk about what he's hearing at NGFA's Country Elevator Conference, the National Great Defeat Association. That's where he is at this week in Louisville, Kentucky. And he tells us some of the things he's hearing from folks throughout the elevator sector and more. Here's Ryan Moe with StoneX. Yeah, I mean, uh, renewable diesel is a big topic of conversation, as it has been for the last couple of years. But probably the biggest takeaway is how many of the people and the participants here at the program had a lot of their local elevators have one of the best seasons they've ever had as far as fall fertilizer application. That leads me to believe that we're going to have a lot of corn acres next year. And I think that's definitely something to consider when we look at five plus dollar December 24 futures. Um, it sure sounds like there's going to be a lot of corn acres and lots of acres with lots of supply. What does that typically lead to in the longer term? 
Well, thinking about the market here today, corn's up a little bit. Wheat uh, found a little support again. We got another uh, SRW sale to China overnight. Uh, meantime, soybeans leaking uh, a little bit lower here today, down five to seven at last check. Uh, your thoughts and just some of the mixed tone in the grains and oil seeds on Tuesday. Just more of a mixed mundane tone, as has been somewhat of the case here for the last several weeks. We haven't really seen much as far as action on the export front. And if the bulls want to get something going, they're really going to need to get those exports uh coming right along, which that doesn't sound good as far as the situation in the Panama Canal and other world markets uh, wanting to be more competitive than the U.S. So we've got a lot of things in our plate right now, and unfortunately not many of them are bullish. Soybeans, that January contract breaking the $13 mark here in morning trade on Tuesday. Does that concern you that that could open us up to some more downside potential in soybeans, Ryan? Yeah, the funds are positioned for bearish moves just because of the large supplies in the world as we sit today. So when we look at you know key psychological support levels like that, we need to be cognizant that the funds and the big money they are positioned from a uh, from a bearish stance. And also the outside markets, I know the dollar was trading slightly higher. Uh, we saw a wild day in gold yesterday. Crude oil has been kind of a mixed bag. Any thoughts for you, uh, especially thinking about some of that fund money movement in terms of the outside market trade we're watching here today? Yeah, the dollar is going to be something that we're going to need to keep an eye on. And the dollar index is important to watch, but more importantly is watching the U.S. dollar versus the Brazilian real, because that is who our competing entity is as far as country of origin for corn and soybean exports to China. So how the U.S. dollar is doing versus the Brazilian real, that's the currency cross that's going to be the most important for people in agriculture. And once again, Ryan Moe there with Stone X filling in for Arlen Suderman on Tuesday's midday commentary. Do appreciate his time joining us as he was uh, partaking in the NGFA Country Elevator Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. A couple news notes. Uh, One-year Farm Bill extension does not mean the Senate is done. Some hope to start work quickly to get a full bill passed before the election season starts in 2024. That may be difficult, according to Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. She says while she was encouraged by the extension of the 2018 Farm Bill, she's not happy about it. But having something is better than having absolutely nothing. Um, so we've bought some time to continue working through a number of issues. Ernst thinks there's a lack of farm in the Farm Bill. If you look at the overall bill, uh, only about 14-15% of what's being proposed in the Senate Farm Bill is actually farm-related, farm programs. Um, the rest of it is focused on food programs and things like climate change. A lot of items she thinks may sound good but contribute to an overly large cost. Ernst says $1.4 to $1.5 trillion proposed in the Senate this year for the Farm Bill. That's why we think... We need to work on it, continue to whittle down the cost of the bill, um, but make sure that we're focusing on our hardworking farmers and ranchers. And again, that is Iowa Senator Joni Ernst talking about the farm bill. 
Well, farm production expenses are up again and net cash farm income is down, though there is some good news as 2023 comes to a close. Farm production costs are forecast to jump another 3.5% this year, with interest and livestock costs making up most of that. On the positive side... But we do have things moderating like fuels and oils and fertilizer, things which had seen big run-ups in, say, the previous 18 months. USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer tells USDA Radio that farmers will have spent 14% less for fertilizer this year and less for pesticides, fuel, and livestock feed. Net cash farm income, though, is expected to fall. Spiro Stefano heads USDA's Economic Research Service. The net cash farm income for calendar year 2023 is forecast at nearly $158 billion, which is down about 21% relative to 2022. And Stefano says, though 2022 was a record year for net cash farm income, farm solvency remains strong this year with asset values growing faster than debt. Compared with the last 20 years, farm income is still forecast above average despite the drop from 2022. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we are going to dive into what's happening in the commodity and livestock market trade. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net joins us next on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen well we saw more srw wheat sales to china announced on tuesday morning that helped out the wheat market a little bit we saw corn an okay day there soybeans kind of a volatile day we uh, traded about a dime or so lower and then we reversed it back near unchanged at the close to talk about what's moving in the grain markets we'll touch on the livestock trade a decent rebound in cattle as well on tuesday and uh, what's happening in the outside markets joining us for a conversation pleased to have jim mccormick with agmarket.net back with us here on market talk jim hope you had a great thanksgiving hard to believe it's already the month of december and you told me before we jumped on a little a little bit of snow in your neck of the woods there in uh, in the chicago area jim well, that's it. Yes, we did have a very good Thanksgiving, but yeah, we've rolled the calendar here to December and Mother Nature is trying to, I guess you could argue, get us into that Christmas spirit. We Not a lot of snow, about an inch, wet, heavy kind of stuff. The kind of stuff, Jesse, that I like, you know, gets the trees coated, grass is coated, but the roads are wet and that's it. No shoveling. So uh, yeah, definitely getting us a little bit into the Christmas mood. Well, there is nothing wrong with that. We'll see how long we can stay away from more measurable snowfalls across uh, many parts of the Midwest, Jim. Let's talk about the markets. Uh, That's more important. That's what we're here to do today. Soybeans, uh, at one point, uh, we started a little higher. Then we busted lower. And uh, last I looked at my quote screen, we were down about a dime. Then I refreshed the close. We got it back to unchanged. So what happened to soybeans on Tuesday? A lot of volatility, but I think a lot of it is a little bit of holiday trade, Jesse. I mean, the volume is drying up a little bit, but I'd I'd mostly attribute it to weather. Um, The reality is um, South America is still getting a little bit too much rain in the southern part of Brazil, but the northern part, there is some scattered rain out there, but it's not hitting everybody. But more importantly is there's two different models. you got the GFS and the Euro model. The GFS model continues to trend drier. The Euro model tends to be a little bit more wetter. 
Um, and there's kind of like a knife fight going out in the middle part of December. Are we actually going to see an atmospheric change, you know, to what's going on in northern Brazil? The crop is getting smaller by all accounts. You know, right now the USDA is at 163. We'll get some revised numbers here at the end of the week. The average trade guess is one to two million lower. We're in that camp, but you've got some private groups out of Argentina, or excuse me, out of Brazil that are talking, you know, low 150s. And, you know, really ratcheting this crop down. Now, I don't think it's going to be that low this early in the game. Remind you, they're still just finishing up planning. But it is a concern. I think the market reacted to it. The other thing we probably ought to look at in the action that rebounded was the meal market. Late in the day, we saw some really aggressive bull spreading where they were buying the jam meal up really big compared to the deferred months. So maybe that's a little bit of a precursor to maybe a little bit of demand coming back into the market on the meal side after this break. Because, you know, the world is still very tight meal until the Argentinian crop is planted, harvested, and then crushed. So uh, we are really the best supplier of meal near term. I was a little worried about Jan Beans breaking below $13 at one point on Tuesday, worried that that could open us up to some more downside pressure. And we closed about a nickel above that on the day Tuesday. But are you worried that we've uh, we've breached that psychological level in front month beans uh, and that could open us up to some more downside potential? Jim, what do you think? I am less worried now than I was when the market was blowing early in the day. I mean, <laughs> early in the day, that I, I, I will admit, just like you, it was like, this is not good. Um, we're testing kind of the shelf level support around 1298. We came off of it, came off of it quite nicely. So hopefully, technically, we have seen a little bit of, you know, support kicking in and maybe kind of generate this back up. And, you know, I think there's two things that could flip this story to a bullish story on a dime, plain and simple, is – if the European model continues to be more accurate and they continue to miss the rains in northern Brazil, the weather premium that got sucked out of the market here the last 10 days could come roaring back in. And it might even be amplified because it's a time of year where volume's a little bit lighter. So your moves can be a little bit exaggerated. And the other thing is keep an eye on what's going on in China right now. They have been buying a lot of U.S. beans. They're, they made those big purchases a few weeks ago. If they come in and buy, that might excite the market. Right now, as far as I, the last numbers I saw, we are the most competitively priced. And even out of the golf. Now, a lot of these beans have been bid, have been sold or going out of the P&W, which is good. But we're hearing the P&W logistically wide is getting near capacity. So we hopefully we will, you know, they can still go to the golf. But the golf is a little bit more tricky because of the uh, water shortage down at the Panama Canal. China's in here buying SRW wheat once again. The Chicago wheat finished moderately higher on the day Tuesday. It really feels like wheat got down to a cheap enough price that China said, okay, it's uh, it's on sale. We're going to go buy some U.S. Uh, SRW wheat here. But yet, also, too, wheat, all three complexes have been rallying the last week or so. So I guess uh, what's your take in this wheat trade overall? It feels like it's been largely supportive to corn especially uh, on the back of these chinese sales lately no doubt about it china buying coming in and buying wheat i think has definitely helped put a floor in this wheat market i mean china obviously is one of your biggest buyers of commodities in the world when they come in here and they start buying they kind of set the market like hey if china's buying i can't you know if i'm a competitor of china i got to realize and now i got to compete with them and it's very hard to compete with the volume they buy. So I think that's a good sign. The market, let's face it, Jesse, and the wheat market's just been an absolute dog for the longest time as we just continue to take all the war premium out of the market. But now China's come back in. If you look at the world stocks use of corn and wheat that's actually exportable supplies, that's still some of the tightest in 10, 15 years. So I think you've got to be very optimistic. The wheat market has a little bit more to go. 
Also, don't discount the funds. They are carrying a pretty hefty short position in wheat, and rightfully so with the trend we've been in in the big carries. But if you start breaching the 100-day moving average, I know we breached it earlier today. I'm not sure if we settled above it, but we're very close to it. If you start breaching those moving averages as we round the last month of the year, the last quarter of the year, it could start forcing some short covering by these funds who are essentially are going to book their profits, essentially buy back out of their shorts before letting the market give it all back. So uh, we're, you know, a combination of China buying a little bit of familiar chart patterns combined with a short position by the funds. Hopefully that is the recipe for a nice Santa Claus rally in the wheat market. Talk to me about corn funds. Maybe some short covering potentially here as corn's kind of gotten some of that support from the wheat trade. I mean, we're nearing the end of the year. What do you make of where this corn market stands right now and some of this fund money flow in and out? Talk to me about that, Jim. Well, just like the wheat, the funds are carrying this really hefty short position right now. And I think they could start liquidating out of it for the same argument. They're short a lot of grain. If this market starts to firm up, they're giving back profits. And they just say, hey, I'd rather choose the book to profit than give it back at the end of the year, as well as making adjustments tax-wise. Now, if they're going to do that, Jesse, just so the listeners know, in general, they tend to do it in the first half of the December. As we get to the second half of December, they tend to close the books to wrap up the year and, and try not to make big position movements. So if we're going to see the short-covering rally, I would argue it should happen in the next couple of weeks. But there's something else going on in the corn market I think you got to look at is we forced a lot of producers to market grain here last week as we went in the first notice day of the December contract. So if producers were out there and they had hedges on at the elevator or maybe a basis contract, they have forced to either price that grain or roll that hedge out or that basis contract out. Well, the spreads pushed out to 25 cents. So it was just a bloodbath rolling it out to, to the contract out from Dece to March. A lot of producers ended up dumping grain and that might've put the low end right there as people where the market essentially does what it does best. It forces people out at the very last moment. But now that farmers essentially dumped all that grain that they had to get forced to, I think now the market's job is to try to maybe keep that grain flowing in essence. And how do they do it? They're going to bid the basis up in certain locations. So keep an eye out on that if you're a producer, as well as the market might rally as well as they're trying to essentially pull grain out of the market, uh, you know, market to the market, excuse me, at least in the near term. It sounds like to me, and I've heard some of this too, that some of those regional basis opportunities might be the, the big catalyst to watch here, as you kind of indicated, over the next couple of weeks, if farmers are going to do any more corn selling before the new year, because otherwise I think those bin doors are locked here, Jim. Exactly. I mean, that's where the market's at. You know, they dumped it where they had to. If the elevator did not get that grain from you, that final flush of grain here a week ago, now it's their job to pry it out of the farmer's hands. The farmers tend to not want to do it. The weather's cold. Let's face it, it's the holiday season. People are busy. So the market's job will do it. So if you are a producer out there, keep your eyes and ears open. Um, you know, if you're willing to sell some grain, make sure you're, you let the, your end user know it. And don't be surprised if they give you a call. Now, the one thing I'm going to encourage people to do, Jesse, because when we get these moves, especially on the cash market, it is usually fleeting. It'll go up and that they may bid up. 5, 10, 15, 20 cents, but it may be only a few hours. So keep those orders working out there if you're a producer, or at least let the elevator know that you are in that mode well in the solid if it hits a certain price. Because like I said, I think this window is going to be relatively short, unfortunately, because I think as we, as we flip the calendar to 24, let's face it, the interest rates are going to be a lot higher. Storing grain is very expensive, estimated around 10 cents a month for beans, just in interest costs. 
three and a half, four cents for corn. So as we go into 2024, I think there's going to be an argument. Do I move grain or do I take a bigger loan to finance next year's crop? And I think producers are probably going to feel a little bit more pressure to essentially move the grain a little bit quicker than they like. But that's what the end users are going to count on. So that window of that basis appreciation may be relatively short lived. So uh, don't be afraid to take advantage of it if you're a producer. We'll have more with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net on the way right after this. Your local FS is member owned. And that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Jim McCormick from agmarket.net for market analysis. Jim, uh, looking at 24 corn, 24 beans, a new crop. Uh, has anything changed in your mind? Should producers be thinking about getting super aggressive here, marketing uh, next year's crop already, or are things kind of the same as when we talked about that uh, a few weeks back? What are you thinking right now on some of the new crop stuff? I don't know super aggressive is the word I'd use, but I, I do think you've got to, I think you got to realize, Jesse, I think I think the tide has turned, unfortunately. I mean, as, mm-hmm. as they say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, okay? And what we mean by that is the patterns usually are very, very the same. Coming out of the drought year of 2012, you had explosively high markets. And then 2013, you had decent prices. And by 2014, we were plain and simple, you know, down to 350 cash corn and everyone was struggling. We're doing the same situation. Two years ago, we had the high prices of corn. Last year was a decent price, but not as good as the year before. 24 is setting up to be like 2013, 14 was just a few years ago. And that unfortunately is going to be a little bit negative. When you look at the carry-in right now, potentially 2.1, 2.2 billion bushels, it is a huge cushion for next year. You take that combined with 91, 92 million acres, a lot of producers right now who are starting to do the math for next year are saying, look, the money's in the corn. So I think there's a decent shot. We get 91, 92 million acres of corn. We happen to have a trend line yield or close to it, 180. You, the writing's on the wall. We are going to overproduce and the market's going to go down. Uh, to put it in perspective, the last time the funds were this short corn, corn futures are trading at $4. The stocks to use right now are projected around 15%. From 2013 to 2018, when ending stocks averaged between 12 and 14, 15%, the average farm price was within 10, 20 cents of 350. So you can see where we're at historically, when you got stocks use where we're at, this corn market is still holding a lot of premium. And that premium will eventually work its way out if we have anywhere close to a normal crop. The only thing I think that might derail it would be either A, China coming in buying a lot of corn unexpectedly, or B, the weather just doesn't cooperate. Fantastic perspective. Uh, I really appreciate that. Good thoughts to consider. 
outside market moves, anything influencing there. I know we had a wild day Monday in gold. We were watching the U.S. dollar or watching interest rates. Still got high rates, but maybe some talk that things could ease as we get into next year again. Uh, obviously, just uh, there's a lot going on in the outside market picture. Anything big you're watching there that is having an impact on some of this money flow into and out of commodities and livestock, Jim? Well, I think on the money flow, look at gold. Gold's kind of nice to see. Like I said, it made a new all-time high, I believe. And that's that's exciting to see. It shows some money is starting to work its way back into the commodities. The reality is commodities have kind of been a kind of a negative term for uh, the speculators the last couple of years. Because when you're in a, you know, essentially a high interest environment like we've had, they didn't want to own commodities. Well, now the Fed is essentially signaling that it's done raising rates. The markets even think potentially they're going to cut rates. That's bringing money into the commodities. It's pushing the dollar down. That's good. If the dollar starts to weaken, it gets up, it keeps us competitively priced on the world market and will continue to drive demand away from South America into the U.S. shores. So that's kind of what we're watching for is this dollar to continue to weaken. But on the other hand, keep an eye on the economy. The cattle market is going to hinge, I think, a little bit on demand. We've always knew that the cattle supply was going to be tight. We knew that forever. Then the, you know, the placements numbers came in. Surprise people, you know, essentially we know what happened. It tanked the market. But we're going to have a cattle on feed report here, or not the cattle feed report, excuse me, a USDA WASD report here at the end of the week. And they're probably going to show beef production relatively down in essence. So it's going to continue to show in general we've got a tighter supply by historical measures. And if the economy does stay strong, hopefully that will give us a rebound in the beef market. But just like the grains, I think if you have an opportunity to lay off risk at profitable levels, I'm going to encourage you people to do it. And I was going to say, too, following up on cattle here, it's felt like a lot of funds decided that they were done being long in this cattle market and got out. And that kind of led to a lot of our volatility uh, here Thanksgiving since Thanksgiving, really. But I wonder, too, I know typically you can help me out with this a lot better, but I've seen it before where you have so many volatile swings that could start to kind of indicate a bottom in a market are we maybe finding our, a bottom here so to speak in both fats and feeders after all of this wild volatility the last 10 days or so jim well you know trying to call bottoms is always a deadly game <laughs> you know, i know this business. i know there's no <laughs> doubt about it but i'm optimistic that i think we're, we're close to putting the bottom and we had a nice little rebound today i'd like to see a little bit of foul through in this but i i think we've gone too low too fast like I said, I think the overall supply of cattle, I mean, the actual cattle herd, it's still very tight. It's going to tighten as we try to expand. So I think, and like I said, we've washed a lot of the funds out. So I'm hopeful that this cattle market will start to work its way back up, at least give us a, kind of a dead cap bounce retracement rally. Jim, before uh, we wrap it up, final thoughts from you. Uh, anything else you want to mention or reiterate to folks today, whether it's on the grain or the livestock side for us? Right now, I guess the thing I'm going to reiterate, Jesse, to the, your your listeners is um, now's the time to really start looking at your profitability, not just of the 23 crop, but in the 24 crop. And the 23 crop, you know, look at where your yields are. I know in the West, the yields have not been as good as, as they thought. In the East, the yields are phenomenal compared to what some people thought. They need to recalculate. Now they know what their production number was, where were their break-evens are. Now the kind of a dynamic break-even, what you need to sell the grain for, from here on out to make profitable levels. And then on the 24, it's the same situation. Do not be afraid to lay off risk. The one thing we've learned, I think, in the last couple months is 
the market giveth and the market taketh. <laughs> when it takes it, it takes it a lot quicker. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think, like I said earlier in the conversation, especially in the corn, the dynamic is changing. We are building supplies. If South mm -hmm. America does not have a production problem in Brazil, the headline in Brazil is the weather issues. But the reality is it's kind of like June here in the United States. If they start getting good rains and they have a good crop, the bean price is probably going to work lower because we're essentially going to overproduce for what the world needs. And the market's goal at that time is going to go down to essentially dissuade production or stimulate demand. And it usually will go lower than people want. Just like it goes higher than people think, it tends to go lower. So uh, now's the time to really start building those marketing plans for the grain that's unsold as well as the 24. Jim, I know folks can reach out to you and the team there at agmarket.net if they have questions. They can go online to agmarket.net, sign up for research, find phone numbers, et cetera. I know, too, you guys have your conference coming up in Nashville uh, early in 2024. Give us a plug for that. What can folks expect? Um, yes, we do have a conference coming up. Um, it's Sunday, the third and fourth of uh February, essentially, it's the weekend before Super Bowl Sunday, so you're not going to miss the football games. We kind of schedule it that way. It's a great conference, folks. You're going to have Eric Snodgrass. I know Jesse's had Eric on before. Eric Snodgrass, Dan Bassey, David Hightower, Randy Dowdy, as well as the Ag Market team and JST team giving you economic outlooks. We're very excited about it. We think there's a lot of good information about it. And uh, 24 is definitely going to be a challenging year, but there's going to be opportunities. You just got to be ready to take advantage of it. And as Jesse said, just go to agmarket.net on the top banner. I'll give you all the information you're looking for. And I'm looking forward to being there as well, since it's in my backyard here in Nashville. And it's, uh, it was a great conference last year. Looking forward to another great time this year. With that, Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Appreciate you being on the show with me, my friend. Thanks so much. And we will talk to you again real soon. Thanks for giving, having me on. And once again, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net joining us here today on Market Talk. Let's take a look at the closing numbers from Tuesday's session. December corn up eight and a quarter, 468 and a half. March corn was up five at 490 and a half. Soybeans, January, three quarters lower, 1305 and a half. March beans unchanged at 1326 and a half. Bean meal, January up 950 a ton, 41780. January bean oil down 98 points at 5026. December Chicago wheat, 25 higher, 620 and three quarters. March was up 10 to three quarters, 631 and a quarter. December Kansas City wheat up one and a quarter, 657 and a half. March was up five, 662 and three quarters. Spring wheat, December up three and three quarters, 715. March spring wheat up two and three quarters at 739. We saw oats March down three and a quarter, 391 and three quarters. Canola was down 10 to 11, almost 12 lower on the day on Tuesday. Over in the cotton market, we see cotton for December up 100 points, 78.68. March cotton up 100 points, 79.68 as well. Saw some green on the screen in coffee, sugar, cocoa, orange juice trading lower on the day. Mixed action in the lumber market. Over in the dairy sector, uh, we see a little bit of green on the screen in the dairy parlor. Pretty much across the board. Uh, slight gains on Tuesday. Let's go to livestock. Live cattle for December up 125, 168.50. February up 190, 168.97. April live cattle up 180, 
Feeder cattle for June up 417, 214.70. March up 390 at 217.47. April feeders up 395, 221.37. And hogs were lower on Tuesday. December down 122, 66.82. February hogs down 145, 69.35. April lean hogs 145 lower as well, 76.10. May hogs down 112 at 83.60. Feeder cattle index at last check down 262. 223.27 with the Lean Hog Index down 74, 69.84. That is a recap of the market closes that we saw on the day on Tuesday. Coming up next here on Market Talk, we're going to take a look at a few news headlines before we wrap up the show. Looking at cyber attacks on agribusinesses. We're going to hear some comments on that and other headlines before we run out of time. We'll be back with more on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Appreciate Jim McCormick with agmarket.net joining us with his perspective and thoughts on what's happening in the market trade. Again, a rough day at soybeans on Tuesday. Uh, while quarter wheat held up all right, more sales of SRW wheat to China. Cattle had a decent rebound. So be watching these markets as we move throughout the week. Got that December WASDE report, typically an uneventful report. That's coming up on Friday. Still could watch it for any surprises. Well, let's take a look at news headlines. Ag cyber attack claims are on the rise. Jen Pino Gallagher, Director of Food and Agribusiness Practice at M3 Insurance, has seen cyber attack claims jump in the last six weeks among agribusinesses. She says Google and Amazon were able to recently fight off the largest cyber attacks they've ever seen. So this type of an attack is a, called a denial of service attack, is a type of cyber attack targeting a specific application or website where the goal is to basically exhaust or overwhelm the target system's resources. They do this by sending multiple requests to the website at once. In fact, Google reported that when they were became under attack back in August, at the peak, their system was receiving 398 million requests per second. She says farmers shouldn't feel that they are overlooked. Cyber criminals see farms as low-hanging fruit for easy financial gain. She advises businesses to talk to their insurer about cybercrime coverage, train employees, and make passwords stronger. What agribusinesses, what an individual farm, what an individual homeowner should be asking of their agent is, do we have coverage for a cyber attack? What does that coverage look like? Oftentimes there might be uh, like a throw-in coverage that's mixed in with either your homeowner's policy or your farm policy. But truly, if you want to have protection, you should look at a standalone cyber liability policy. They're very reasonably priced for the type of protection you get. And if the agent works a lot in this industry, they can actually help you build a protection plan, a preemptive plan to help control your risks and respond if you do have an attack. And she says cyber attacks can be incredibly disruptive to your business. It can take an enormous amount of time to figure out what happened, how to recover your files. Backups are a very important thing, whether you have a, an individual farm or you have a large agribusiness. Backing up your information is really important. Training is always important. Training your employees on how to identify these malicious emails, the fake emails, the phishing emails. 
Um, I would say even at the family level, talk to your kids about cyber protection. I found a really interesting survey that was done by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Researchers wanted to figure out what do kids know about passwords? And the percentages of the respondents said that they use the same password for everything. That increased by age. So the younger kids said about 58% of the respondents said they use the same password for everything. By the time they got to high school age, 87% said they use the same password for every platform. And once again, that's comments with Jen Pino Gallagher, Director of Food and Agribusiness Practice at M3 Insurance. Well, artificial intelligence on the farm is no longer a sci-fi dream, but a reality. But there are costs as well as benefits, as the Senate Ag Committee heard at a recent AI hearing back in November. Now, the benefits are clear, according to UC Davis's Mason Earls, who co-leads the USDA-funded AI Institute for Next Generation Food Systems. These national AI institutes are working on programs that aim to relieve labor shortages via AI-driven robotic harvesters and tree crops, monitor the health and stress of livestock using AI-enabled sensors, and predict climate and crop risk by building AI-accelerated models that could eventually be used to precisely control irrigation and nutrient emitters. And surgically target weeds with herbicides. But with more technology comes more risks. Josie Marie Griffiths, president of Dakota State University. Just before Russia invaded Ukraine, we saw pictures of tractors stuck in fields, unable to move because the uh, systems had been uh, attacked. And that created an impetus for us to um, do some work on trying to protect farm vehicles from similar kinds of attack that could occur from unfriendly states. Deere Company Senior VP and Chief Technology Officer Jamie Hindman says the Moline, Illinois firm already builds security into its software. We then look towards external partners to help us do things like penetration testing. We uh, partner with uh, White Hat Hackers. Uh, Hacker One mm -hmm. would be an example where we do a bug bounty program. We pay for uh, ethical hackers to try to hack into our systems and, and expose vulnerabilities before they become public so that we can remedy those. And Hindman says producers have the final say on data privacy, but more research is needed in the rapidly growing field, something lawmakers may consider as part of the next farm bill. And a few other notes here on Market Talk today. The USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service will begin mailing the 2023 Census of Aquaculture form starting December 18th. The agency will mail the forms to all producers who indicated in their 2022 Census of Agriculture that they produce and sell aquaculture products. The deadline to respond will be January 15th. An Ag Census special study, the Census of Aquaculture, will provide comprehensive data at the state and national levels, including production volumes and methods, surface water acres and sources, and sales. Federal, state, and local governments, agribusinesses, trade associations, and producers can use this data. NASA Administrator Hubert Hamer says, quote, the information that respondents provide will serve as the foundation for many decisions involving the sustainability and growth of the aquaculture sector for years to come. It's an opportunity to share your voice with decision makers, end quote. Agencies also made survey responses more convenient with their online respondent portal. You can find that at accounts.usda.gov. And season two of Penn State University Extension's podcast called Farm Stress Real Talk is now available. 
The podcast focuses on supporting farmers, farm families, and workers in the commercial agriculture industry who are experiencing stress. During the program, the PSU Extension Farm Stress Team conducts informal educational conversations with a diverse range of educators, Penn State faculty members, and agricultural professionals. These interviews are designed to give farmers practical strategies to balance farm responsibilities with their own well-being. Dairy Extension educator Ginger Fenton says the podcasts are a convenient resource, saying we know farmers are busy, so we thought a podcast with targeted practical information would be a good way to reach them. Farmers can listen to the podcast while doing chores or operating machinery, quote unquote. Season two focuses on strategies to address stress proactively. The second season is available on the Penn State Extension website. All right, well, we are out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. Coming up tomorrow, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.